Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 28, verses 18 through 21. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. All who sin apart from the law will also perish from the law and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Galileo had a problem. It was the year 1616, and for the last eight years, he had been standing defiant in front of the whole world, defending the evidence that uh, confirmed what Copernicus had just said about 20 years earlier, that our solar system is heliocentric, meaning that the earth and all the other planets revolve around the sun, See, that was breaking news back then because they believed that the earth was the center and they pointed to scripture to defend that. It caused quite the stir and the church ended up locking him away for house arrest, on house arrest for the rest of his life for his take on this view of scripture. Galileo though did not disown his faith, but rather took a different view of it. He was writing to a friend and as he did so, he told her that uh, the Bible is not the authority on science, but on faith, on morals, on living a life of love. He quoted a cardinal saying that the Bible teaches how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. At the time, some people said that Galileo was trying to disprove scripture and discredit God, but I think God, that Galileo was actually trying to help us to read it better. God still speaks. That is our theme for this sermon series that we're in right now. And last week we affirmed that scripture is the word of God, that it is inspired by God and it is useful for figuring out what we believe and living our everyday lives. God has revealed himself and still reveals himself to us through the scriptures. And we believe that everything that we need for salvation is right there. It's right there in the Bible. But what is salvation? How do we know that? How do we figure out how to do those things? How do we receive salvation? How do we turn these biblical truths and doctrines uh, to help us to make sense of the world that we live in today? So we've been talking about the Wesleyan quadrilateral, a tool uh, that helps us to formulate what we believe based on scripture, tradition, reason, and experience and putting all of those together to find out what it is that we believe as individuals and as the church. And today we're talking about reason. Reason is defined as the power of the mind to think, understand, 
and form judgments by a process of logic. We often think about Christianity as a religion of the heart, and it is. But we see in scripture and in church history that the mind is an important part that is played in our faith. Last week when we were discussing the major themes of the Bible, we mentioned the time that a lawyer came up to Jesus and he said, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus quoted the Shema, the passage from Deuteronomy 6, 4, that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, or sorry, with all your soul and with all your strength. And Jesus added on the word mind to the list. He knew that it was important in how we love God to to use our mind to process that. Paul also emphasized the importance of the mind. In Romans 12, two, Paul implored the Romans to be transformed by the renewing of their minds so that they could test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So in, in Paul's point of view, the mind is helpful and absolutely imperative in understanding God's will for us. In church history, the great St. Anselm's motto was faith seeking understanding. He argued that Christianity is not meant to be a blind faith, nor could it ever be just seeking knowledge for the sake of knowledge, but that it is applying our minds to our faith, the faith of our hearts. The use of reason is also deeply rooted in Methodist history as well. Methodism came about during a time, uh, the, the the age of enlightenment, in which deism and intellectualism and agnosticism were, were making a, uh, a big push. They were on the rise. And the church was on the decline. People were leaving it in droves. The pulpit was known just as much for its corruption as it was for its communication of the gospel. And then came John Wesley and the Methodist revival. Wesley preached the good news to the masses and people were starving for Jesus. They were starving for the word of God. They were coming in in droves and and this huge revival took place. But Wesley did not abandon his reason or his scholasticism. Rather, he applied it to his faith. He used this massive library that he had from all sorts of different religions uh, or, or denominations and points of view, an ecumenical library to shape what he believed and what he preached. So what do we mean by using reason to form what we believe today? We're using reason anytime we try to sum up scripture or anytime we talk about the whole tenor of scripture, what it all means, what it all points to. We're using reason anytime we do theology. The Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed that we say, those are acts of reason. The doctrine of the Trinity is an act of reason as well because it is an interpretation, a very important interpretation of the Bible, but it is an interpretation because the word Trinity is nowhere to be found in the Bible. In fact, every interpretation of scripture is an act of reason. And anytime we say anything about God that is not explicitly said in scripture, we're using reason. In fact, anytime we use a quote from our scripture, that's also an act of reason because the scriptures were translated from original language. And to do that, that person had to apply reason to get to that translation. We're also using reason anytime we look at different fields of study like science, history, philosophy, or anything else, and we apply our faith to that. We're using reason and giving our faith more understanding. 
Reason helps us to read the Bible more faithfully. For instance, it helps us to identify genre in the Bible. Just like in movies or books or music, there are different genres in the Bible. Uh, several of these include history. Some of them are, uh, are poetry. Some of them are apocalyptic literature. And anytime we try to, we try to look at Genesis as a science text or the Psalms as a history book or Revelation as anything other than crazy, wild, apocalyptic literature, we're going to have a hard time interpreting that text as it was meant, as it was written originally. When Galileo demonstrated the earth, that the earth revolves around the sun, he was not trying to disprove Psalm 104.5, which says that God has fixed the earth on its foundation so that it will never move. He was not trying to deny that. Galileo was giving us vital information to help us to understand the poetry of the Psalms and that the truth in them has never been about astronomy. When we engage reason, when we study the genre, the original languages, the historical cultural context, what was going on when the Bible was written, it helps us to interpret it more accurately. Reason empowers us to read deeper and to put ourselves in the shoes of the authors who are writing those very scriptures. Applying reason to scripture is a path to loving God with our minds. It boils down to this. God wants to be known by us. God is, is understandable. God wants to be understood. And the more we understand God, the more we'll come to love God. Today's scripture readings point to this very reality that even before Jesus came and walked the earth, even before the Holy Spirit descended upon the church and the book of Acts saw so many amazing things uh, that God did through the disciples before the law came to Moses and the people of God were identified as Israel. God was here. God was still at work. God was still revealing himself because it says in Romans 1.20, which we already read, for the, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood what has been, from what has been made so that people are without excuse. See, God has always been at work in obvious ways. Sometimes we just don't see it. The psalmist penned, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. I wonder if you've ever channeled your inner Galileo and stood with wonder at the night sky. Or maybe you've stood in awe of God next to an ocean or climbing a mountain, or working in your garden or hearing the cry of a, a newborn or reading a really good book. In each of these and in infinitely other ways, God is speaking. We call this idea the general revelation of God. And God has specifically been revealed through the scriptures and the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit. And God is also being revealed in all sorts of ways in our very world. God's been a lot longer than any of that. Paul goes on in Romans 2, 14 uh, to tell us about how God might even be on the move in people and ways and in places that we wouldn't expect. He says, indeed, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they don't have the law. This statement would have come as a bit of an abrasive surprise for the Jewish Christians in the church in Rome 
who had a hard time of welcoming in these new non-Jewish Christians into their midst. Paul was trying to help them to see that God is not confined to a list of rules or a certain people or a certain way of living, but that God is at work everywhere and in all people. There are people in the world who may never have heard the name of Jesus, but they live with the law of God on their hearts in the ways that they love others. This isn't by luck or by them being intrinsically good people. This is God at work in them. They just may not recognize it. So here's the good news. God is not hiding from us. God wants to be known. God wants us to know him and he wants us to be known by him. In fact, God is constantly speaking to us, but we just aren't always listening. Reason helps us to listen to God. And today I wanna share three things that that I believe that God wants to, to do in us and through us by applying reason to our walk with Jesus. The first is that God gives us understanding through reason. And so when we put into practice this idea of St. Anselm, faith seeking understanding, God will lead us down a beautiful path and a great journey uh, that reveals the person of Jesus Christ in a fuller way in our lives. If you're on the fence about pressing into this whole reason thing, if you are, are worried that your faith may slip if you, if you seek God with your mind, I have more good news for you. It's entirely possible for you to use reason and apply it to your faith and seek God in that way without getting caught up in the weeds of theology or seeing your, your faith become a desert of intellectualism. Wrestling with theology and doctrine provides us a roadmap to the heart of God. Several years ago, my first day at Asbury Seminary, I got to go to chapel there and it was my first experience there and it was the convocation day and I sat toward the back, but as these professors streamed in wearing their fancy academic gowns with their fancy hats and they were processing into the great Charles Wesley hymn, and can it be that I should gain? Uh, and we're singing about the amazing love of God. Just, it was an absolute roar of praise. I thought, what is this place? This is weird. It felt like I had stepped into a, a Harry Potter cult of, of Jesus. Like it was just some crazy experience. But Dr. Tennant, the president of Asbury, preached a sermon that day called Scholars on Fire, that we were called to be students, that we're spending all this time in studies, uh, in the library, hitting the books, but also hitting our knees in prayer, that it wasn't a dry experience. It wasn't intellectualism just for the sake of knowledge, but it was leading us toward God in prayer. And I think we saw that in the recent weeks as well with, with Asbury and their outpouring, the, the, the students who have uh, flocked there and uh, just hit their knees in prayer and repentance that God can meet us when we sincerely meet him through prayer and in study. And for me personally, exploring my, my faith and theology has, has strengthened my love for God and my love for others. And you don't have to go to seminary to, to have this kind of experience, to, to see God at work through uh, the ways in which we learn. We have all kinds of ways right here at the church that you can grow in seeking reason through Bible study, through reflection, through reading and good conversations with other Christians. We're using reason as we apply that to our faith. And these should all help us to grow in our faith and make us more fruitful in ministry to the world. 
You remember that, that parable that Jesus taught uh, his disciples about the, the sower who scattered seeds on different kinds of soil. Without understanding what we believe and why we believe it, we're in danger of becoming like the scattered seed that falls on the rocks, it has such shallow soil so that it pops up quickly and then the sun shines on it and scorches it and it withers away because it does not have any roots. Reason gives us roots. Reason allows us to hold tight to what we believe as formed in scripture and tradition and experience. Second reason makes us reasonable. I know this seems obvious, uh, but I think what we need to emphasize here is that, G, that being a Christian doesn't mean you just apply your intellect to seeking the truth. It also means that you are open-minded and willing to see from other people's views. Reason helps us to remain humble, to, to, to walk in another person's shoes, to understand why people believe what they believe and why they believe it. Through reason, God leads us not toward judgment, but toward grace in our relationships. We should be reasonable in our conversations and even in our disagreements as Christians, we can come to this place without demanding that our way is the only way. Our, after all, Paul, if Paul is right in Romans, and I'm pretty sure that he is, there are people who know nothing of the scriptures, but who know something about God because they know about his created world. That should humble us and know enough to, to pay attention to them, to listen and to learn. Frankly, it should embarrass us if, if those who do not know God are paying closer attention to the world that God created, we should wake up and also learn more about the world that we live in. Third and finally, reason gives us greater faith. When reason is applied well, it, it makes us only want more of God. You've probably heard that it's good to have a childlike faith. And maybe someone told you that as a way of saying, stop asking so many questions. But have you ever been around a child? They ask tons of questions all the time. My three-year-old Ellie, every other sentence is a question. Why, daddy, why? Why are you wearing a blue shirt today? Where's mama? Where's baby sister? Why is baby crying? All the time asking questions. But you know what? She doesn't ask those questions from a perspective of doubt. She's asking those from a place of faith because she knows that there is an answer to those questions and that maybe there's somebody who has that answer and maybe there's something even behind all of that that makes sense of what is in the world. Of course, it's entirely possible to be afraid uh, to, be, to asking questions out of doubt, to asking questions thinking that there are no answers, to be afraid that you will not understand the, the answer to the question but that's not the faith of a child. A childlike faith asks why. A childlike faith says, tell me another story. Childlike faith says, help me to understand even when I don't understand. They ask and ask and ask. And a childlike faith helps us to remember to expect to hear an answer. I wonder, what is it that you need to hear from God? What word are you waiting for? The word you need might be closer than you realize. A lot of times we, we want to hear from God in some dramatic way, some big you know, note written in the sky or a, a prophetic dream or some kind of crazy clear answer. But reason is a gift of God. Reason can be a supernatural gift from God. The still small voice that we hear in our head what we often refer to as our conscience, our common sense, 
That could be God speaking to you, but we don't notice it. You see, reason and faith are not at war with one another. Sometimes reason is at war with the world that we live in. The world we live in wants to pit us against each other, wants to divide us, but reason helps us to unite, to love, to seek the truth together. Now, reason is a blessing and a gift to our faith. And as difficult as it can be to make sense of it all, nothing about their struggle will take away from the blessing. I wanna close with a poem uh, called The Convert written by G.K. Chesterton about what we know by faith. He says, the sages have a, a hundred maps to give that trace their crawling cosmos like a tree. They rattle reason out through many a sieve that stores the sand and lets the gold go free. And all these things are less than dust to me because my name is Lazarus and I live. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.